and I, I think that's true. It sounds like a lot of pressure <laughs> that the world needs you, but certainly your world needs you. And collectively, we as a world, we as the church, need our mothers. Women are such an important part of the kingdom of God, such an important part of the Lord's church. And I'm glad, I'm thankful for the opportunity to appreciate and commend the women among us, especially the moms. As I said earlier in the service, probably, we're probably treating you today like we should every day of the year, but at least on one day we, we think about that. As we appreciate and commend moms, we are also very mindful that for some of you today might be a, a, a difficult day. Maybe today is a little bit heavy on your heart. Maybe you've lost your mom recently or, or you've lost your mom in the past. Maybe you want to be a mom, but for whatever reason, that's just not happening. Maybe you've lost a child, you've lost a pregnancy. Um, if today is a difficult day for you, I, I, I want you to know that your church family shares in that pain, that we want to come alongside you, and, and our, our hearts are heavy for you as well. Most of all, we hope that you'll find the comfort and peace that only God provides. Uh, we'll look wherever we look in this world for comfort and peace and to, to fit things together, to make sense of things. And we won't find those things with the answers that the world comes up with. Those can only be found through God. And so our, our prayers are with you. But we do want to honor our moms today. I think some of our section hosts are helping us. So guys, if you could come up and get some of these flowers up here and be ready to go. We're going to give you, moms, a small token of our love and appreciation. We wish we could give you so much more, but at least this beautiful rose will remind you when you see it that we care deeply for you, that we appreciate you, that we love and adore you, and so we want to do that. So if you are a first-time mom, stand up and remain standing. If over the past year you became a mother for the first time, stand up. Do we have any new moms among us? All right, very good. All right, joining them our grandmothers. If you're a grandmother or a great-grandmother or a wonderful great-grandmother or a great-great-grandmother, all grandmothers stand up and receive your rose. And now all moms, if you consider yourself a mom, please stand up through birth, through adoption, through caring for others. We want to honor you with a rose. So remain standing until you get your rose so these guys will know who to give a rose to. If you have a specific color request, you can work that out with the guys. I don't know. It is somewhat of a tradition, not necessarily a good tradition, that while we're doing this, sort of to kill time, we have a little bit of poetry, original poetry. So here we go. Roses are red, violets are blue. This is Mother's Day, so today we honor you. It's been a long year. Some tough spots and a few spats, but mom, you've really stepped up. Thanks for wearing so many hats. You've kept things going. You've cared for us well. With you by our side, we know we'll never fail. We treat you today like we should all the time. Forgive us for taking you for granted. By the way, this isn't easy to rhyme. <clears throat> we want to be nice to you, at least not make you cry. So please accept our gratitude. Look, I even wore a tie. <laughs> As a symbol of our love, we give you this rose. I told you this wasn't good. <laughs> it's just to kill time. As a symbol of, of our love, we give you this rose. It's pretty and smells good, which isn't true of your toes. 
don't know how that got in there. Just kidding about the toes, yours are the best because they take you where you need to go and hardly ever rest. You work and serve, you listen and share, you always look pretty even when you're mad at your hair. Today is your day. It is you we promote. Some of us might even finally be willing to give you the TV remote. (laughs) As much as we appreciate what you do, it's really about who you are. You are loving and patient and kind, and in this dark world, you are our true shining star. Well, there you go. Any, did we get everybody? Thank you, fellas, for helping us out with that. Good job. And moms, please know that we do love and appreciate you. Let's offer a prayer of blessing on behalf of our moms and grandmothers with us today. God, thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for gifting us with people in our lives, people that mean so much, people that pour into us in ways that we sometimes take for granted, ways that we don't always see, ways that we don't appreciate till later in life. Thank you, Father, for our mothers. Thank you for those who have invested so much and continue to invest so much in the lives of their families. This world truly does need mothers. And Father, I'm also mindful of those for whom this day is difficult. For whatever reason, God, I pray that today you would wrap your arms around them, that you would give them peace and strength and comfort, that you would provide what they need through you, through your grace and through your love. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance to be together, to worship. Thank you for our mothers. Thank you for our fathers. Thank you for those who mean so much to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we begin to emerge from this pandemic, in many ways we are entering a new and unknown world. There will be new obstacles and new opportunities. Much the same could be said about Joshua and the Israelites when they crossed the river and entered the new world of the Promised Land. What was God's answer for their uncertainty? A constant and compelling message we all need to hear. Be strong and courageous. If you have a Bible, you might open it up to Joshua chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend some time today. Speaking of moms, maybe you saw the story of the mother who now lives in Texas but did live in Oklahoma. The story came out, I think, last week. She was charged with a felony. Do you know what her crime was? <laughs> Evidently, 22 years ago, she rented a VHS videotape from a movie rental store and she never returned it. 22 years. And she's been charged with a felony, something like embezzlement of rental property or something like that. And she had no idea. She had no idea for years. When they asked her about it, she said, I didn't even rent that movie. I think it was called Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I don't know. I think it's a kid's show maybe. I'm not even sure what that is. But she said, I've never even watched that show. And she said, I think my boyfriend at the time rented the movie for his kids. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. Well, authorities have, have wiped her record clean and they've taken care of it. But as she recalls the last 22 years, she says, I know I have not received jobs and job offers because of that being on my record. She says, that has affected me. And it probably has. You know, there's a truth that that story reminds us of something we all know and that is that the actions of a person can have far-reaching effects on others 
on the community. That's the case in families. That's the case in churches. That's the case as we look today in our Bibles. That's the case of the people of the Old Testament, the Israelite people. One person's actions or a few people's actions or a group of people's actions can impact and have far-reaching effects on the community, on others, sometimes for years to come. And so for Israel, God had brought them out of Egyptian slavery. And by his incredible mighty hand and his provision and his protection, he has led them through the Red Sea. I mean, walking through the Red Sea, they should have looked around them and thought, we're on the right side. We need to stick with God. And yet as they go through the Red Sea, they're one step closer to the promised land. What do they do? They begin to cry out to God. They begin to complain to God. They begin to want to go back to Egypt. You see, their decisions, their attitudes, their actions would have far-reaching effects on the community. Because basically what God did is he gave them, at least this one generation, what they wanted. They didn't want to go forward. They didn't want to go into the land. And so he said, okay, then go into the wilderness and wander there for 40 years. And for 40 years, that's what Israel did. While a whole generation of disgruntles and doubters died off. And now as we pick up the story... God is ready to lead them forward into their God-ordained destiny, into the new world, into the promised land. So they're on the river's edge. They're peering into Canaan, just across the river. And I, I wonder, would they learn from the past? Would they learn from other people's actions? Would they enter the land with strength and courage, with faithfulness to God? Would they trust God, who brought them this far, to continue to bring them to the promised land. As they wandered in the wilderness, did they also wonder? I mean, think about that for a minute. I worded it that way because I want us to sort of think about what the attitude was, what the heart, the mindset of God's people was. If you're wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, would you take any time to reflect on why we are here? Do I have some responsibility in this? Is it because of my actions? These are the things I wanted. I didn't want to go forward, and so now I'm not. How did that work out for me? Maybe the wilderness was a time to wonder. To wonder about their own actions, to wonder about the ramifications of those actions, but more than that, to stop, to pause with a sense of wonder and awe to reimagine what life is like with God and submitting to God rather than trying to take control from God. To just pause and stand in awe of our holy God who provides, who protects, who is faithful to us. In many ways, I think this past year has been an opportunity for us to pause, to stand in wonder, to look for God, and maybe even to consider what we have brought to the table. Not that any of us have caused a pandemic or anything like that, but what responsibility do we have in, in life and in how life is going and how family is going and how church is going and how our culture is today? What responsibility do we have? 
I think a sign of a spiritually mature person is one who acknowledges that he or she is not perfect, that we have failings and flaws. And maybe that's part of what Jesus meant in those beautiful Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Those who take inventory and they realize that they are spiritually bankrupt. When you read Israel's story, there seems to be so much pride and so much stubbornness and so much arrogance trying to take control away from God. That's not the way of Jesus, as Jesus would reveal years and years later. Sometimes it's our way. And so did they simply put the excuses that they made and their complaints and their fears on shuffle and just play them over and over for 40 years? Or did they look above those circumstances? Did they stop and look for God? Maybe God knew they needed a time of spiritual reflection. Maybe he knew they needed to pause with a purpose before entering the land. So that's what God did. He built in a pause. The Israelites didn't get a running start as they crossed the river and went into Canaan. They parked by the river for a purpose, I think. And I don't think it was just logistics. I mean, getting two million or so people together and organized, certainly that would be a logistical nightmare in many ways. Take a lot of planning. But I think the pause at the river is for a purpose. And so we go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days... The officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubics, that's about a little over half a mile, between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. There are so many things just in those few verses that I think are important and relevant for us today. So many lessons that we can learn. The first thing I want you to notice is, look how many times, chapter 3, verse 1, all the Israelites. Chapter 3, verse 7, all Israel. Chapter 4, verse 1, the whole nation. 4, verse 11, all of them. Verse 14, all Israel. Do you get the sense that God didn't want to leave anyone behind as they crossed the river and entered their destiny, the new land, the promised land? Yes, he allowed an entire generation to die away to get really what they were asking God for. By the way, isn't it amazing that sometimes simply what God does is let us go the path that we choose? Sometimes we get so mad at God. Why, why, would, you, why would you send people to hell, God? Why would you condemn people? And quite often in, text, in the text, what we see is God just simply gives us over to our desires. We say, God, I want to go this way. And it breaks his heart, but finally sometimes he says, okay, I'm not going to force you. So he lets a whole generation of Israelites die in the wilderness. But now it's time for those who are left to go into the land. And he wants them to be together. He wants them to be unified. He wants them all of Israel to follow him. In fact, he wants them to be united in mission and motion. 
their mission to conquer their land, their motion or their movement forward, not backward, not standing still, but moving forward. As we face this new world in front of us, you know, people have talked about the new normal or the post-pandemic world. What is it going to be like? You're probably already tired of hearing those phrases, kind of like we were a few months ago when we heard unprecedented, which is true, and it's also true that we enter this new world, but as we enter this new world, whatever's on the other side of this pandemic, there will be challenges and opportunities, and it is vitally important that we go together, that we are unified in our mission and our movement forward. We are trying to move beyond a difficult year, and it's going to take all of us working together and being together to do that. And yes, not all of us agree on everything about the pandemic or politics or a number of other things happening in our world. I actually heard someone the other day say that they thought cats were better than dogs. We're not going to agree on everything, but we agree on Jesus being Lord. And we agree on his word, the word of God being our authority. And we agree on our mission to make disciples. And we agree on so many things that come from those basic tenets of our faith. We find unity in Jesus. And so as we continue to step into the future, we must go together. And I can assure you that Satan wants to do nothing else than tear us apart. I have seen, and I'm sure you have seen, over the past 12, 14 months, Satan at work in the church, trying to to just get a foot in the door, just trying to cause some kind of crack in the foundation so that he can cause the church to crumble apart, so we will turn on each other. Satan doesn't have that power. We cannot allow that to happen. I'm so thankful for the spirit of unity among this congregation among this church family. I'm so thankful for the sense of solidarity. I'm so thankful that many of you who are involved in ministry or ministry leaders or all the things that you do to minister to people, maybe even not in a formal way as a part of an official ministry of this church, but that didn't stop. You continued to find ways to do that. You adapted. You innovated. You pivoted. And you continued to, continued to minister to people and continued to have an impact on this world. I'm so thankful that we are held together by our common faith in Jesus and our mission to make disciples in this world. May that always be the case. Jesus prayed for us. Before he went to the cross, he's in the garden. John 17, he prayed for a lot of things. He prayed for his disciples, but he also prayed for those who would believe in him through their message. That includes us. And what did he pray? that we would be one, that we would be unified. Why? So the world would believe that God had sent Jesus. So the world would believe in Jesus. Our unity, our solidarity, bears witness to the validity of Jesus to this world who desperately needs Jesus. So that unity that we're talking about, we know this. It doesn't always mean uniformity. It doesn't always mean agreeing on everything. It doesn't always mean thinking the same way. But it does mean being unified in our mission and in our motion, our movement forward under the mighty hand of God. And it means taking care of each other. 
and yielding to each other. Speaking of motion or movement, that's one of the major themes in this text. Back in verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before what? Before crossing over. The root of that word, that phrase crossing over, is used over 20 times in chapter 3 and chapter 4. This passage is about the passage of God's people. There is movement, there is motion. They are moving forward. They cannot stand still. They cannot go back as much as some of them, at least their relatives before them, wanted to. God desired that they step boldly and courageously into the future, that they continue to move forward. Will that future be different from their present and their past? Yes, probably, most likely. Will there be times where it's not very comfortable in that new place? Absolutely. There are inhabitants of the land. There is opposition there. There will be times when you will experience discomfort. Will there be challenges there? Will there be obstacles there? Yes. But God says, I want you to move forward with strength and courage. And remember, as we said a couple of weeks ago, the strength and the courage isn't us standing up in our and with our own strength. It's leaning into the strength of God. And that's how we can move forward because it's not up to us. It's not by our power, our goodness. It's under the mighty hand of God. God's people must move forward. The church must move forward. The body of Christ is a dynamic living organism, not static. And as we move forward, we embody the love and we share the gospel and we shine the light of Jesus in this world. Will it be different at times? Our culture, our new world? Yes. Will there be, will, will there be opposition? Yes, we know that. We live in a post-Christian world in so many ways. Yes, there will be opposition from all angles, from all directions. Will it cause us discomfort? Most likely. But comfort isn't the highest standard of our faithfulness. If something makes me uncomfortable, it makes me uncomfortable, and that's it. You see, there will be obstacles, there will be challenges, but we must move forward. And maybe, maybe God is positioning the church in this place at this time for just such a moment as this. Have you thought about that? Rather than being so discouraged and saying, oh man, our world is going down the tubes, what are we going to do? What's the future of the church? Young people are leaving. Maybe God positioned us in this place at this time for such a time as this. And so we cannot go back. We cannot stand still. We must move forward with the strength that God provides. Our culture is imploding around us. Our world is imploding around us. Our nation is dividing. There is chaos and anxiety growing. This is not the time to give up. This is not the time to turn around. This is our moment. So let's not give in to fear. Let's not give in to anxiety. Let's not get distracted by our differences or overwhelmed by the difficulties. Let's keep moving forward. That can only happen if we go with God. Did you notice in the text, what are they, the Israelites, supposed to follow through the river? 
the Ark of the Covenant. That is significant. The Ark of the Covenant, that was where the law was held, the stone tablets, the Deuteronomy law. It's also, in many ways, as it leads the people like the tip of the sword, like an army would follow their king or their general into battle, they are to follow God into their promised land. And what did it symbolize? It symbolized the presence of God among the people. It was this symbolic presence of God. And that's why they were told to keep a distance from it, over a half a mile, to follow it, but to keep a distance, a reverence for the presence of God. All that to say, God was with them. God was leading them. And we must follow God and follow his word into this new world as we move forward. The Ark of the Covenant represented God, and it held God's word. And quite literally, the people were to follow God and his word. We are to do the same. The authority of Scripture cannot be compromised for the sake of our culture. We go with God, and we go submitting to the authority of his word. Not the authority of our traditions, not the authority of our opinions or our personal preferences. All those are fine. They do good work, but our authority is Scripture. The Israelites were to follow the presence of God. And for them, it was more than a symbol. Throughout the text of Joshua, the Israelites are told to meditate on the Word, to obey the Word. Has God's Word for you become a symbol, or is it the source of life? Do you allow Scripture to shape your thinking, your perspective, your worldview, your heart? Or is it just a, a book that sits on the shelf or the table or it's an app on your phone? Joshua tells the people to get ready, to follow the priest carrying the ark into the river. And you know what happens. If you read the rest of the chapter, we don't have time to do that. If you read the rest of the chapter, I would encourage you to do that. Maybe in the sermon discussion time. You'll see that that's what the people did. The priests get the ark. They go into the river. As soon as they touch the river, their feet touch the river, something miraculous begins to happen. The water begins to pull back. And on one side, it pulls back, the text says, into a heap, into a wall. And on the other side, it drains all the way down to the lowest place on earth, the Dead Sea. And the people cross over. I'd love to see visually what this might have looked like. We were blessed enough to, to visit the Jordan River a couple of years ago. We even got down into the river. And at the time, it was in the middle of summer. It was blazing hot. The water, as you can see, was pretty murky. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, I expected the river to be more grand. It was only about 20 or 25 feet across. I didn't, I didn't get in too far, but it didn't seem that deep. But as we were standing, we actually got in the river. But as we were standing near the river, I was talking to our tour guide just about the, the Jordan River, and he said, look up there. And he said, you know, we turned around and looked up behind us, and you can kind of see from the picture they had built the uh, walkway, and there were like concrete stairs. I mean, it was all ready for tourists, which many places over there are. But up on the hillside, probably 20 or 30 or maybe 40 feet above the river, there were these palm trees, and on one of the palm trees, there was a life-saving ring, you know, like you use at the swimming pool. And I remember thinking, and you can't tell from the picture, but I remember thinking, that's a long way from the river. If, <laughs> if someone's drowning in the river, 
that, that doesn't seem very convenient. And the guide told me, he said, I remember last year when the water was that high. It was touching where that life-saving ring is on that tree. Again, that was 30 or 40 feet above where the river was. The text says when they crossed over, it was harvest time, and the water was flowing outside of the banks. I don't know how high it was, but I know that God pulled the water back. And there was this wall of water on one side, and there was no water on the other side. And two million or however many Israelites slogged through what used to be a river into the land of promise. They entered the land. Man, what a, what a sight to see. And so I, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something that is critically important. We talked about how Joshua, the officers, told them to get ready, follow the priest, follow the ark. And then we talked about how that actually happened and they entered the land. But there's something in between you need to see. Joshua 3, verse 5. Such a, an important verse. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. That's a word we don't really use a lot, do we? We don't even use it in church. It's a very biblical word. It means to set yourself apart it means to dedicate yourself <coughs> to a higher purpose. It means to sanctify yourself. One of the best examples is in Exodus 19. Moses is going up Mount Sinai to receive the law, and God says to Moses to tell the people to consecrate yourselves because God is going to come down and visit them. And they know what that means. They wash their clothes. They abstain from sexual relations. They don't do anything that might defile them because they're getting ready to encounter God, to reimagine life with God. And so we, I think, can learn something from them. And why does he say to consecrate yourselves? He says, because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Do you believe that God has amazing things in store for you? For us? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that He is in control no matter what? Do you believe that He holds the future in His hand? You see, around here, I don't think, and around most places, I don't think we use enough God language. We use a lot of me language. Sometimes we use we language, but we don't use a lot of God language. God is almost like the silent partner in the whole thing. Yeah, we know he's there, but we don't really know what to credit him with. We don't know what to say about him. And by the way, if I do say something, people may look at me funny or treat me differently. He's the silent partner in this arrangement. We need to use some God language. We need to acknowledge that God can and will do amazing things among us. And when he does, give him the credit. Give him the glory. What if I told you tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things? I mean, what if that was the message you got today? Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. And I don't know if that's literally tomorrow or two tomorrows or weeks or years, but what if 
I said, tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. If that's the truth, that should excite you, that should inspire you, maybe even give, give you a little bit of fear. You see, the people were encountering God. They were supposed to follow God, but keep a distance from God. There was some reverent fear there. But you know, we will miss God if all the time we are looking down in despair, if we're disgruntled. We will miss God if all the time we're looking inward to our own desires, our own wants and needs. We will miss God if we're looking behind us to a bygone time that we want to go back to. We will miss God. So pause with a purpose and create and capture a sense of wonder so that you can encounter God more specifically, consecrate yourself. Here's what that means. What does it mean to consecrate yourself? I, I think this is the best way to describe it. We should distance ourselves from anything that keeps distance between us and God. Anything that puts distance between us and God, we should distance ourselves from that. And maybe that's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's toxic people. Maybe it's stuff, money. Maybe it's sin, struggles. Maybe it's busyness, worldly values, worldly ambitions. Anything that comes between us and God, we should distance ourselves from that. That's basically what God tells the Israelites. Consecrate yourselves and get ready because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. You're going to encounter God. You're going to see things that are incredible. So get ready. Distance yourself from anything that would blind you to that encounter with God. We need to do the same. And I think as we do that, we need to remember that consecration and confession often go hand in hand. They are often companions on the same journey. And just as we don't say much about consecration, we don't talk much about confession, and we certainly don't confess much. After all, if I confess, then other people see my flaws. I have to admit that I have wrongdoing. And I'm trying to build my image. I'm trying to look good in front of others. I have insecurities. I think if we're going to prepare ourselves to encounter God, it will demand confession. When is the last time you confessed out loud? You confessed wrongdoing. When is the last time you said, I'm sorry? When is the last time you acknowledged your flaws and your failings? I'm not saying when is the last time you pointed out someone else's children, your spouse, someone at work? When's the last time you looked in the mirror and did that yourself? See, I think there's something valuable about stating it, about saying it. You know, when you fly and you sit in the exit row, which I usually love to do because you have more leg room, but I don't know if you've flown recently with everything going on, but now it's different. I don't know. Maybe it's certain airlines, but now you've got to pay. They charge you like extra $27 if you want to sit here, this part of the plane, or this part of the plane. Or, and so it's very specific. I'm so cheap, I just wait, because I'm not going to pay extra. I'm on the airplane. We're all going to get there, hopefully, right? And so I end up with the seat, yeah, right by the bathroom and the screaming babies at the very back of the plane. That's fine. But sometimes, back in the good old days... <laughs> When you travel in the exit row, what do they always say to the people in the exit row? You have some responsibilities, don't you? You know, if this thing 
goes down, you gotta, there's the door, you need to open it, you need to help people. Can you do that? And if you've flown, you know that they don't just accept a nod or a grunt, right? What do they say? The flight attendant says, I need verbal confirmation. You have to say, yes, or I will. There's something about saying it that puts you on the line. There's something about saying it that causes accountability. There's something about saying it that makes it real. As we consecrate ourselves and prepare ourselves to encounter God, to be led forward into the new world by his mighty hand, there is great value in confession and saying it. What do you need to say? And to whom do you need to say it? It's Mother's Day. Maybe, maybe you need to say it to your mom. Moms, maybe you need to say it to your children or your husband. Husbands, maybe you need to say it to your wives. Maybe you need to say it to your church family or your friends. What do you need to say? Distance yourself from anything that's put, that puts distance between you and God. And consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among us. I hope you believe that. I hope you embrace that. Today, I hope you have an opportunity to rest in the wonder that is an encounter with God and look for him. And as you look for him, confess. Be consecrated. Today's probably a busy day for you, but if it works out today or maybe later in the week, maybe you can use the sermon discussion resources we provide. Short video, discussion guide. Sit down with those in your house or with friends or, or people in your Bible class or others and just walk through some of these passages and begin to apply them to your context. I would encourage you to do that. Obviously, we provide an invitation at the end of most services. It's an opportunity to confess, and maybe you want to do that today. It's also an opportunity to confess not necessarily sin, but to confess, to declare your faith in Jesus and to be baptized into Christ. If that's the choice you're ready to make today, we celebrate with you. We're so proud of you. We'd love to help you. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. I just want to be...